0: The Route of the White Hussars by Rudyard Kipling. Read by Beth Ann. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Route of the White Hussars. It was not in the open fight we threw away the sword. But in the lonely watching, in the darkness by the ford, the waters lapped, the night wind blew, full-armed the fear was born and grew, and we were flying ere we knew from panic in the night. Bar. Some people hold that an English cavalry regiment cannot run. This is a mistake. I have seen four hundred and thirty-seven sabers flying over the face of the country in abject terror. Have seen the best regiment that ever drew bridle wiped off the army list for the space of two hours. If you repeat this tale to the White Hussars, they will, in all probability, treat you severely. They are not proud of the incident. You may know the White Hussars by their side, which is greater than that of all the cavalry regiments on the roster. If this is not the sufficient mark, you may know them by their old brandy it has been sixty years in the mess and is worth going far to taste ask for the Maguire old brandy and see that you get it if the mess sergeant thinks that you are uneducated and that the genuine article will be lost on you he will treat you accordingly he is a good man but when you are at the mess you must never talk to your hosts about forced marches or long-distance rides THE MESS ARE VERY SENSITIVE, AND IF THEY THINK THAT YOU ARE LAUGHING AT THEM, WILL TELL YOU SO. AS THE WHITE Hussars SAY, IT WAS ALL THE COLONEL'S FAULT. HE WAS A NEW MAN, AND HE OUGHT NEVER TO HAVE TAKEN THE COMMAND. HE SAID THAT THE REGIMENT WAS NOT SMART ENOUGH. THIS TO THE WHITE hussars, WHO KNEW THAT THEY COULD WALK ROUND ANY HORSE, AND THROUGH ANY GUNS, AND OVER ANY FOOT, ON THE FACE OF THE EARTH. THAT INSULT was the first cause of offence. Then the colonel cast the drum-horse. The drum-horse of the White Hussars. Perhaps you do not see what an unspeakable crime he had committed. I will try to make it clear. The soul of the regiment lives in the drum-horse who carries his silver kettle-drums. He is nearly always a big piebald whaler. That is a point of honour, and a regiment will spend anything you please on a piebald he is beyond the ordinary laws of casting his work is very light and he only manoeuvres at a foot-pace wherefore so long as he can step out and look handsome his well-being is assured he knows more about the regiment than the adjutant and could not make a mistake if he tried the drum horse of the white hussars was only eighteen years old and perfectly equal to his duties He had at least six years more work in him, and carried himself with all the pomp and dignity of a drum major of the guards. The regiment had paid twelve hundred rupees for him. But the colonel said that he must go, and he was cast in due form and replaced by a washy bay beast, as ugly as a mule with an ewe neck, rat tail, and cow hawks. The drummer detested that animal, and the best of the band-horses put back their ears and showed the whites of their eyes at the very sight of him. They knew him for an upstart, and no gentleman. I fancy that the colonel's ideas of smartness extended to the band, and that he wanted to make it take part in the regular parade movements. A cavalry band is a sacred thing. It only turns out for commanding officers' parades and the bandmaster is one degree more important than the colonel. He is a high priest, and the Kilrao is his holy song. The Kilrao is the cavalry trot, and the man who has never heard that tune rising above the rattle of the regiment going past the saluting base has something yet to understand. When the colonel cast the drum-horse of the white hussars, there was nearly a mutiny. The officers were angry, the regiment were furious, and the bandsmen swore like troopers. The drum horse was going to be put up to auction, public auction, to be bought, perhaps by a Parsee and put into a cart. It was worse than exposing the inner life of the regiment to the whole world, or selling the mess plate to a Jew, a black Jew. The colonel was a mean man and a bully. He knew what the regiment thought about his action, and, when the troopers offered to buy the drum horse, he said that their offer was mutinous and forbidden by the regulations. But one of the subalterns, Hogan Yale, an Irishman, bought the drum horse for hundred and sixty rupees at the sale. And the colonel was wroth. Yale professed repentance, he was unnaturally submissive, and said that, As he had only made the purchase to save the horse from possible ill-treatment and starvation, he would now shoot him and end the business. This appeared to soothe the colonel, for he wanted the drum-horse disposed of. He felt that he had made a mistake, and could not, of course, acknowledge it. Meantime, the presence of the drum-horse was an annoyance to him. Yale took to himself a glass of the old brandy, three cheroots, and his friend Martin, and they all left the mess together. Yale and Martin conferred for two hours in Yale's quarters, but only the bull-terrier who keeps watch over Yale's boot-trees knows what they said. A horse, hooded and sheeted to his ears, left Yale's stables and was taken, very unwillingly, into the civil lines. Yale's groom went with him. Two men broke into the regimental theater and took several paint pots and some large scenery brushes. Then night fell over the cantonment and there was a noise as of a horse kicking his loose box to pieces in Yale's stables. Yale had a big, old, white, whaler trap-horse. The next day was a Thursday, and the men, hearing that Hogan Yale was going to shoot the drum-horse in the evening, determined to give the beast a regular regimental funeral, a finer one than they would have given the colonel had he died just then. They got a bullock cart, and some sacking, and mounds and mounds of roses, and the body under the sacking was carried out to the place where the anthrax cases were cremated, two-thirds of the regiment following. There was no band, but they all sang, The Place Where the Old Horse Died, as something respectful and appropriate to the occasion. When the corpse was dumped into the grave, and the men began throwing down armfuls of roses to cover it, the farrier sergeant ripped out an oath and said aloud why it ain't the drum horse any more than it's me the troop sergeant majors asked him whether he had left his head in the canteen the farrier sergeant said that he knew the drum horse's feet as well as he knew his own but he was silenced when he saw the regimental number burnt in on the poor stiff upturned near four thus was the drum horse of the white hussars buried the farrier sergeant grumbling the sacking that covered the corpse was smeared in places with black paint and a farrier sergeant drew attention to this fact but the troop sergeant major of e troop kicked him severely on the shin and told him that he was undoubtedly drunk on the monday following the burial the colonel sought revenge on the white hussars unfortunately being at that time temporarily in command of the station he ordered a brigade field day He said that he wished to make the regiment sweat for their damned insolence, and he carried out his notion thoroughly. That Monday was one of the hardest in the memory of the White Hussars. They were thrown against a skeleton enemy, and pushed forward, and withdrawn, and dismounted, and scientifically handled in every possible fashion over dusty country, till they sweated profusely. Their only amusement came late in the day when they fell upon a battery of horse artillery, and chased it for two miles this was a personal question and most of the troopers had money on the event the gunners saying openly that they had the legs of the white hussars they were wrong a march pass concluded the campaign and when the regiment got back to their lines the men were coated with dirt from spur to chin strap the white hussars have one great and peculiar privilege they won it at Fontenoy, i think many regiments possess special rights such as wearing collars with undress uniform or a bow of ribbon between the shoulders or red and white roses in their helmets on certain days of the year some rights are connected with regimental saints and some with regimental successes all are valued highly but none so highly as the right of the white hussars to have the band playing when their horses are being watered in the lines only one tune is played and that tune never varies I don't know its real name, but the white hussars call it take me to London again. It sounds very pretty. The regiment would sooner be struck off the roaster than forego their distinction. After the dismiss was sounded, the officers rode off home to prepare for stables, and the men filed into the lines, riding easy. That is to say, they opened their tight buttons, shifted their helmets, and began to joke or to swear as the humor took them the more careful slipping off and easing girths and curbs a good trooper values his mount exactly as much as he values himself and believes or should believe that the two together are irresistible where women or men girls or guns are concerned then the orderly officer gave the order water horses and the regiment loafed off to the squadron troughs which were in rear of the stables and between these and the barracks There were four huge troughs one for each squadron arranged in echelon so that the whole regiment could water in ten minutes if it liked but it lingered for seventeen as a rule while the band played the band struck up as the squadrons filed off to the troughs and the men slipped their feet out of the stirrups and chafed each other the sun was just setting in a big hot bed of red cloud and the road to the civil line seemed to run straight into the sun's eye there was a little dot on the road it grew and grew till it showed as a horse with a sort of girdiron iron thing on his back the red cloud glared through the bars of the girdiron. iron some of the troopers shaded their eyes with their hands and said what the mischief has like they they has got on em in another minute they heard a neigh that every soul horse and man in the regiment knew and saw heading straight towards the band the dead drum horse of the white hussars. On his withers banged and bumped the kettle drum, draped in crape, and on his back, very stiff and shoulderly, sat a bareheaded skeleton. The band stopped playing, and for a moment there was a hush. Then someone in E troop, men said it was the troop sergeant major, swung his horse round and yelled no one can account exactly for what happened afterwards but it seemed that at least one man in each troop set an example of panic and the rest followed like sheep the horses that had barely put their muzzles into the troughs reared and capered but as soon as the band broke which it did when the ghost of the drum-horse was about a furlong distant all hooves followed suit and the clatter of the stampede quite different from the orderly throb and roar of a movement on parade or the rough horse-play of watering in camp made them only more terrified they felt that the men on their backs were afraid of something when horses once know that all is over except the butchery troop after troop turned from the troughs and ran anywhere and everywhere like spilt quicksilver it was a most extraordinary spectacle for men and horses were in all stages of easiness and the carbine buckets flopping against their sides urged the horses on men were shouting and cursing and trying to pull clear of the band which was being chased by the drum horse whose rider had fallen forward and seemed to be spurring for a wager the colonel had gone over to the mess for a drink most of the officers were with him and the subaltern of the day was preparing to go down to the lines and receive the watering reports from the troop sergeant majors when take me to london again stopped after twenty bars every one in the mess said what on earth has happened a minute later they heard unmilitary noises and saw far across the plain the white hussars scattered and broken and flying the colonel was speechless with rage for he thought that the regiment had risen against him or was unanimously drunk the band a disorganized mob tore past and at its heels labored the drum-horse the dead and buried drum-horse with the jolting clattering skeleton hogan yale whispered softly to martin new weather will stand that treatment and the band which had doubled like a hare, came back again but the rest of the regiment was gone was riding all over the province for the dusk had shut in and each man was howling to his neighbor that the drum horse was on his flank troop horses are far too tenderly treated as a rule they can on emergencies do a great deal even with seventeen stone on their backs, as the troopers found out. How long this panic lasted, I cannot say. I believe that when the moon rose and the men saw they had nothing to fear, and by two and three and half troops, crept back into cantonments very much ashamed of themselves. Meantime, the drum horse, disgusted at his treatment by old friends, pulled up, wheeled round, and trotted up to the mess veranda steps for bread. No one liked to run, but no one cared to go forward, till the colonel had made some movement and laid hold of the skeleton's foot. The band had halted some distance away, and now came back slowly. The colonel called it, individually and collectively, every evil name that occurred to him at the time, for he had set his hand on the bosom of the drum-horse and found flesh and blood. Then he beat the kettle drums with his clenched fist, and discovered that they were but made of silvered paper and bamboo. Next, still swearing, he tried to drag the skeleton out of the saddle, but found that it had been wired into the cantle. The sight of the colonel, with his arms round the skeleton's pelvis and his knee in the old drum-horse's stomach, was striking, not to say amusing. He worried the thing off in a minute or two and threw it down on the ground, saying to the band, "'Here, you cuz, that's what you're afraid of!' The skeleton did not look pretty in the twilight. The band sergeant seemed to recognize it, for he began to chuckle and choke. Sh- "'Shall I take it away, sir?' said the band sergeant. "'Yes,' said the colonel. "'Take it to hell and ride there yourselves.' The band sergeant saluted hoisted the skeleton across the saddle-bow, and led off to the stables. Then the colonel began to make inquiries for the rest of the regiment, and the language he used was wonderful. He would disband the regiment, he would court-martial every soul in it, he would not command such a set of rabble, and so on and so on. As the men dropped in, his language grew wilder, until at last it exceeded the utmost limits of free speech allowed even to a colonel of horse martin took hoganyell aside and suggested compulsory retirement from the service as a necessity when all was discovered martin was the weaker man of the two hoganyell put up his eyebrows and remarked firstly that he was the son of a lord and secondly that he was as innocent as the babe unborn of the theatrical resurrection of the drum-horse "'My instructions,' said Yale, with a singularly sweet smile, "'were that the drum-horse should be sent back as forcibly as possible. "'I ask you, am I responsible if a mule-headed friend sends him back in such a manner "'as to disturb the peace of mind of a regiment of Her Majesty's cavalry?' "'Martin said, "'You are a great man, and will in time become a general.' but i give my chance of a troop to be suffered to this affair. Providence saved Martin and Hogan Yale. The second-in-command led the colonel away to the little curtain alcove wherein the subalterns of the white hussars were accustomed to play poker of nights, and there, after many oaths on the colonel's part, they talked together in low tones. I fancy that the second-in-command must have represented the scare as the work of some trooper whom it would be hopeless to detect and I know that he dwelt upon the sin and the shame of making a public laughing-stock of the scare. They will call us, said the second command, who had a fine imagination, they will call us the fly-by-knights, they will call us the ghost-hunters, they will nickname us from one end of the army list to the other, all the explanation in the world won't make the outsiders understand that the officers were away when the panic began. For the honor of the regiment, and for your own sake, keep this thing quiet. The colonel was so exhausted with anger that soothing him down came easier than might be imagined he was made to see gently and by degrees that it was obviously impossible to court-martial the whole regiment and equally impossible to proceed against any subaltern who in his belief had any concern in the hoax but the base alive it's never been shot at all shouted the colonel it's flat flagrant disobedience "'I've not a man broke for less, "'Dom sightless! "'They're mocking me, I tell you, "'Mitman, they're mocking me!' "'Once more the second-in-command "'set himself to soothe the colonel, "'and wrestled with him for half an hour. "'At the end of that time "'the regimental sergeant-major reported himself. "'The situation was a rather novel one to him, "'but he was not a man to be put out by circumstances. "'He saluted and said, "'Regiment will come back, sir.' "'Then to propitiate the colonel, and none of the ulcers any worse sir the colonel only snorted and answered you'd better tuck the men into their cots then and see that they don't wake up and cry in the night the sergeant withdrew his little stroke of humour pleased the colonel and further he felt slightly ashamed of the language he had been using the second-in-command worried him again and the two sat talking far into the night next day but one there was a commanding officer's parade and the colonel harangued the white hussars vigorously the pitch of his speech was that since the drum horse in his old age had proved himself capable of cutting up the whole regiment he should return to his post of pride at the head of the band but the regiment were a set of ruffians with bad consciences the white hussars shouted and threw everything movable about them into the air and when the parade was over they cheered the colonel till they couldn't speak No cheers were put up for Lieutenant Hogan Yale, who smiled very sweetly in the background, said the second-in-command to the colonel unofficially. These little things ensure popularity and do not in the least affect discipline. But I went back on my word, said the colonel. Never mind, said the second-in-command. The white czars will follow you anywhere from today. Regiments are just like women. They will do anything for trinketry. A week later, Hogan Yael received an extraordinary letter from someone who signed himself Secretary Charity and Zill three seven zero nine e c and asked for the return of our skeleton, which we have reason to believe is in your possession. Who the deuce is this lunatic who treads in bones? said Hogan By Beg your pardon, sir, said the Banchard the skeleton is with me and i will turn it if you'll pay the carriage to the civil lines. there's a coffin with it sir hogan yale smiled and handed two rupees to the band sergeant saying write the date on the skull will you if you doubt this story and know where to go you can see the date on the skeleton but don't mention the matter to the white hussars i happen to know something about it because i prepared the drum horse for his resurrection he did not take kindly to the skeleton at all. End of The Rout of the White Hussars by Rudyard Kipling